Let's turn to John chapter 3 once again. John chapter 3 and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father God, Lord, we come before you and we thank you, Lord God, that um, you did not leave us to ourselves. Lord, we left to ourselves are lost in sin. We're without hope. We're under the wrath of God and the condemnation of God. But in Christ and in the reality that you sent Jesus into the world to rescue sinners, Lord, in Christ we were made alive if we're Christians. And Father, that is the most glorious reality in the universe, that we can get in touch with God, that we can get in touch with life itself, that we can get in touch with our maker, that we could be made new, that we could be rescued, that we could be given hope. And so, Father, this Father's Day reminds us of what a glorious Father you are and that you would send your Son into the world not to save friends, but to take enemies and make them into your friends. And that has to happen through supernatural realities breaking into hearts that don't want to hear the message and don't want to receive it. But that's what you did in every one of us as we call upon the name of the Lord. And so we pray now, Father, would you help me to move aside and may your word come through in power and in grace and in truth. And Father, wherever we've come in, in our hearts right now, if we're discouraged, that we'd get hope. If we're weary, that we would just be strengthened by the gospel of John. And if we, we don't know Christ, that we would be brought in touch with King Jesus and saved to the uttermost. And Lord, we thank you that there is no one so lost that you cannot reach in and rescue. And so we just pray, Holy Spirit, blow upon our time. Just as you've told us in John chapter 3, when the Spirit moves, the wind is blowing. And we pray that you would blow upon our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. So sometimes I, I think about how powerful it is to actually see something, perhaps for the first time, and it kind of overwhelms you. It might change your life. You might have never looked at something a certain way, and then all of a sudden you look at it and you see it. It's like one of those magic eye things, right? Have you ever seen those where there's all these weird patterns? And then if you look and you kind of squint your eyes and all of a sudden, like, you can see, oh, it's a sailboat, you know, or it's, I could never see those things. But the, the reality is, like, what I'm trying to unfold is sometimes we need to actually look at something and it changes us completely, right? And, and we all know what it's like to stand before a sunset and just be in awe, right? And for, for the men in here who are married, uh, you know what it's like to be standing at the altar and watching your bride come in. And that look, right? That look changed everything for you, right? And then there's like there's bad looks too, right? So you can look at something and it can kind of wreck you, you know? It's like, oh, that's a train wreck. I can't unsee that sort of thing. Or like Indiana Jones, Rages of the Lost Ark sort of thing. Nobody look at the ark. Anybody who's seen that movie knows you look at the ark, that's bad news. 
And that comes right out of the Bible, right? First Samuel, when the Israelites who are in rebellion against God, they look at the ark and they're struck dead. Or Greek mythology, you've got Medusa, you know, the lady with snake hair and all of that. And what happens when you look at her? You get turned to stone and that's it. Well, John is going to tap into this reality in John chapter 3. Jesus is going to point it out. Because you remember last week, we met Jesus and Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was the religious leader of Israel. He's coming in as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's coming in as a learned man. He's, he's a scholar. He's a scribe. He's one of the 70 men called the Sanhedrin who were a part of the ruling council of Israel, and he comes to Jesus and sees some good things in Jesus, and he wants to find out a little bit more. And Jesus doesn't pat him on the back and say, that's great. I love your religious fervor. I love what you're doing here. He says, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So we looked at that last week, right? That means if we need to be born again, that the good doctor Jesus has diagnosed our condition, which means that we're dead in our sins and we need new life desperately to break in. This week, we're going to pick up on the second half of that conversation where Jesus not only says, you must be born again, but now he says, you want, you want to know how new life can come into a person? You want to know how this new life comes in? You've got to look to me and live. You've got to look to me and actually live. Just like you look in faith and life comes in, I'm going to tell you a story in the Old Testament about how that happened in the lives of of God's unfaithful people who were grumbling. And we read that a little bit earlier. So let's jump into John chapter 3. You're going to read it all to get the full context here. So I want you to just, you're a fly on the wall listening to this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot see or he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Why? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. And Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He's still confused. And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? 
It's like it's so basic. <laughs> truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So I entitled this message, Look and Live. And we're going we're gonna to take three looks at this passage to get some help around this text. Because it's, it's important to go beyond the teaching that you must be born again to how does one get this new life inside of me, right? You may have been left last week feeling like, Hopeless, how does it happen? The wind blows where it wishes and it comes in and it does work in the heart and who knows how that works, but we see the evidence in our lives. But how do you be born again? Nicodemus is wrestling with it in verse 9. How can these things be? And Jesus rebukes him, says, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? And then he steps in and he puts his finger on a problem. Nicodemus is blind. And it's a problem of every human heart. It's not just Nicodemus. It's our problem too. The, the, the problem of the human heart is that we don't naturally receive the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because we love our sin. We, we reject the gospel by nature. We don't run towards Jesus. We run away. We don't love the gospel. We mock by nature. And often we just feel like, I don't, I don't really need saving. And so Nicodemus is probably there. He's a religious man. He's born a Jew. I've been born into this thing. God smiles already on me. I don't got to do anything else. I'm the, I'm the rabbi that everybody comes and talks to when they got Bible. He's the Bible answer man for Israel. Are you going to tell him he needs to be saved? Well, yeah, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Verse 11, right? Truly, truly. I say, and that's emphatic. Jesus is shouting. I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we've seen. But what does he say? You don't receive our testimony. And that's not the first time in John that that's been said, right? It's, it's all over the place. We, we saw in chapter one that Jesus was the creator of the world. He made everything in it. And yet the world didn't know him. And he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. That's John 1, 11. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But we don't naturally do this. So Jesus is kind of saying, Nicodemus, listen, here's the truth. I've been sharing with you the good news of the kingdom and who I am, but you won't listen. You won't see you see some good things in me, but you don't see who I am. I'm the creator of the universe. I'm standing right before you. I'm the word made flesh. I'm the only son that's come from the father standing in your midst. But you won't listen. John says this in another way. Uh, 
later in chapter 3, verse 31, if you want to just look down on your Bible for a second, he, he speaks of Jesus this way. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And he who comes from heaven is above all, and he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Did you see it? Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. So John is helping us see that Jesus is stepping in behind John the Baptist and saying, I'm going to step in front now. You were the witness pointing to me. I'm now a witness and I'm bearing witness to gospel realities and men are rejecting it. And Nicodemus needs to be awakened to that. Nicodemus needs to see what he's blind to right now. And the light has to come on. And Nicodemus is still struggling like, what do I do with this? What do I do with new birth? What do I do with this question that you're saying, I can't see anything and I can't enter the kingdom if I don't get born again? So here's our first point. This is what Jesus is going to say to all of us. It's not just Nicodemus. It's you and me too. He says, look to Christ who came from heaven. See it in verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So first we got to see Jesus as the son of man who came from heaven. You don't, if you don't see that, like Jesus is the one who came from heaven. So many of us want to get to heaven, but we have to look to the one who is from heaven. So many of us want to go somewhere else to try to get there. But he's saying you've got to look to the one who's been there and who's come from there and who can show you the way. That's what it says right there, right? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. It can't be done with human engineering and religious performance, right? But if I go to church every week and I make sure that I dot my religious T's and I cross or wait, I dot my religious I's and I cross my T's that I'm going to be good with God. There's an impulse, even as Christians, where we want to kind of like God will smile on me today if I'm good enough. And we don't relate to God based on the gospel. We come on that treadmill and we're like, I'm going to work, 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 and then he'll be happy. And Jesus is saying, no, no, nobody ascends that way. Nobody comes to God that way. And you can't really live for God that way. No one's ascended except the one who descended. The son of man. Listen to it as Paul says it in Romans uh, chapter 3 and verse 19. He just says the same thing. Now we know that whoever, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Did you see that? You can't get there by law keeping. 
And Nicodemus would have been fired up about that because that's what he cared about most. I'm observing it all. And you're not, you're saying it doesn't mean anything. Well, because really the law was meant to show us our sin. The, the law was meant to show us that we are broken, right? The law was like a mirror hold, held up to your face. And when you begin to examine yourself in light of God's holy law, you begin to see how you fall short of it. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I stand as a mirror before you. I'm the one who ascended. You can't ascend, but I ascended and I come down. And what bothered Nicodemus most was that Jesus was telling him, you're not good enough to get there on your own. Does that bother us? Does it bother you on some level? It's like, I, I'm good enough. I want to get there. Every time I'm in a gospel conversation with someone and it gets to that point of where I'm calling them to repentance, like you won't be saved unless you turn from your sin and acknowledge you're not good enough. And you totally rely on Jesus. You won't be saved unless that happens. And immediately, almost every time, unless spiritual life comes in, they begin to go, well, I'm not really that bad. I'm not like the guy down the street. I'm not like Hitler. I'm not like Jeffrey Dahmer. And you begin to do that comparison. But the law was designed to put before our face the reality of what we're really like. And when we stand before it, we stand condemned. There's none who are good. No, not one. Who of us has never lied? Who of us has never lusted in our hearts for something or someone? Who here has always put God 20, first 24-7? You love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. That's the first commandment. Who here has never used God's name in vain? Who here has never stolen something? Time, money, something that didn't belong to you. Who here has never coveted or wanted somebody else's stuff? That's just like Ten Commandments 101, right? And we're kind of like, all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, this is getting real. <laughs> this is getting real. Because really, like, our whole life has had so much of that go on that sometimes we forget how wrecked we are before God and how if we were to stand before God in our own obedience, we would have our hand over our mouth and we would be able to say nothing before the judgment of God Almighty. The law lays bare our naked soul before God and it cries out to us, no one can ascend to heaven on their own. There's none who are good. No, not one. What did Jesus say to the rich young ruler? He said, do all the commandments and you'll be fine. And he's like, well, I've kept those from my youth. Remember, he asked Jesus, what can I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, obey the law perfectly. And he's like, well, I kind of do that. <laughs> and he's like, okay, sell everything you have and come follow me. And that man loved his possessions so much that he went away sad. Instead of coming to Jesus and letting go of the things that were ensnaring his soul. 
He went away because he loved his stuff more than Christ. That's what Jesus is laying before Nicodemus. It's a heart analysis. It's what Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a hard thing for us sometimes to stomach that a little more religion won't get us there. A little more religion. Now, don't get too crazy about religion, right? As soon as somebody starts getting on fire for Jesus and starts getting on fire for the Lord and starts loving God with all their heart and starts having new life inside of them, people are like, whoa, whoa, this is like this religion thing is getting a little out of control. Did you see what's happening there? Nicodemus just wanted a little something more. He came to Jesus by night. It's like, rabbi to rabbi, like, what's this thing? Like, you might be a prophet. I want to kind of know a little bit more. What am I? Let's just sit and compare notes and, and help me get to where you're at, right? I just want a little more knowledge, a little more religion in the stew, but not new life. No one has ascended into heaven except he who was descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What's that mean? He who has descended, the Son of Man. That was a favorite title of Jesus. Jesus called himself the Son of Man more than anything else in the Gospel of John. Only Jesus can disclose to us the way to heaven. Only Jesus can deal with our inability to ascend. Only Jesus is the one God sent as the son of man to identify with us. And only Jesus is the one true king who would set up a kingdom that would never end and usher in a redemption for a people who don't deserve it so that they can enjoy the blessings of God forever. And he sends someone with the title the Son of Man. And this is tapping into the deep realities of the Old Testament. Nicodemus would have heard it with ears to hear. If you're an Old Testament scholar or if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'd recognize the Son of Man. The author of Proverbs at the end of Proverbs says this about the Son of Man in Proverbs 30 and verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? Surely you know the Son of Man. The coming King. The King of creation. The King of the Jews. That's who Jesus is. And there's no getting to heaven without him. There's no ascending without going up the ladder whom Jesus is. The prophet Daniel tells us about the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7. He says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came 
to the Ancient of Days and was presented before me. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. Who is the Son of Man but the King coming on the clouds? The King coming in to, to usher in a never-ending king, kingdom. The King who ends all kings. And the King who ends all kingdoms because he establishes one forever. That's who Nicodemus was expecting. He just didn't realize he was standing before him that very moment. And Jesus is saying, you have yet to discover the truths of the kingdom of God. Who is the son of man? Well, Jesus would talk about who he is all through this gospel. John 6.51, Jesus connects the bread of life and the son of man together in his sermon about the bread of life. He says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the Jews disputing among themselves said, how can this man give his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And at the end of that sermon, many of Jesus' disciples who didn't have a faith that was saving left him. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, are you going to go too? And Peter looked at him and said, you are the one who has the words of life. Where shall we go? Right? So this teaching that, that Jesus is laying out, this idea that Jesus is the bread of heaven, that Jesus is the soul-satisfying bread, he's the son of man, he's the one who came to redeem a people, and you must consume his body and blood by faith. Now, he's not talking about getting vampiric there. He's talking about faith in his death burial, resurrection, and spilt blood for sinners. John 6, 27. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Don't try to get there working for your own bread to satisfy. Come and eat the bread that always satisfies. Do you see he's saying the same thing? The bread that doesn't satisfy, that you eat and you get hungry again, is the bread of your good works, is the bread of your religious performance, is the bread of your addictions, is the bread of your despondency and despair. It's the bread of your controlling things. You're trying to manipulate things to try to get your way. It's that bread that's never going to satisfy you. you got to take your heart before the one who said, I am the bread of life. I am the son of man. And if you come to me, you're satisfied. If you come to me, you get help 
and you get hope. Because I'm the Son of Man and I've come. I've descended. I'm the ladder that you come up and down to get to God. You remember that? John 151. Jesus said, I'm the stairway to heaven. He says to uh, Nathaniel, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we got to look to Jesus as the Son of Man. Or we're not getting to heaven. That's what Jesus is teaching. Point number two, look to Christ upon a cross. Look to Christ upon a cross. Look at verse 14 with me. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus is really in shorthand telling Moses, or not Moses, where's Moses? No, Jesus is telling Nicodemus, look to the cross. But he's doing it in a way that Nicodemus will understand. Because the cross hasn't happened yet. It's yet future. And Jesus is going to remind people again and again. He's going to the cross. He came to seek and save that which is lost. And he came to give his life as a ransom. And he came and he's going to be lifted up to a cross. But he has to tell Moses or, or Nicodemus in a way that he understands. And so he tells him this story in the Old Testament in Numbers 21. And you got to think, this is like, you know, Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. You know, there's, there's snakes, fiery snakes breaking out, biting people. They're dying all over the place. What's this about? Listen to it one more time. Numbers 21 and verse 4. They're going out of the Red Sea, right? They're going up to the land of Edom. And they become impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and Moses. They just got delivered in the Exodus. God parted the Red Sea. God gave them manna to eat from heaven. God gave them quail to eat. God had a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day to protect and guide and preserve them. And Shekinah glories all over that place. Moses' face is shining because he's up on the mountain with God and he comes back down. They're like, put a veil on that thing, Moses. That's the kind of presence of God that these people had. And they have the audacity to murmur and speak against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? I want to go back to slavery is what they're saying. For there is no food or water, and we loathe this worthless food. Did you see that? God's provision, they're mocking. They're like, you didn't give us food or water. But we don't like this food that you did give us. It's like, well, you're not seeing the provisions of God anymore or the goodness of God. All you're seeing is what's at the pit of your stomach. Your taste buds. They, they just wanted another meal, a different meal than the one that God was teaching them. And what happens? All of a sudden, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people 
And so many of the people of Israel died that day. And they come to Moses and they confess their sins. We've sinned. We've sinned against the Lord. Do you see how that's a picture of us? We have all been bitten by the snake bite of sin. We have all murmured and complained about God's good provisions. We have all at times murmured. We don't like this food, Lord. We don't like this water you're providing, Lord. And we grumble and we murmur. Anytime some grumbling and murmuring goes on in the church, think of this story. Because ultimately, it's a shaking of one's fist against God. Like, you're not caring for me, God. You're not providing what I need. You're not providing what I want when I want it. And that's not faith, right? That's dictating to God what he needs to do. And this story reminds us that the heartbeat of sin is a shaking fist against God and a rebellion against his ways. And he had delivered them with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and they're ready to run back to Egypt where they were slaves, and they were the ones crying out for God to save them. So they asked for prayer. Moses prays. God tells him to put the fiery serpents on a pole or put a fiery serpent on a pole, make it of bronze, and anybody who's been bitten can look to this serpent, and what's going to happen? They're going to live. Look to the serpent and live. Look to the serpent and live. And that is being conjured in Nicodemus's mind right now as he's talking to Jesus. And look at verse 14 with new eyes. Sometimes you've got to take another look and see it with new eyes. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Moses had to lift up a bronze pole of a serpent, which was a symbol of God's judgment for the sin and rebellion of Israel. And he had to lift it up and Jesus is saying, he has to be lifted up just like that. And anybody who looks to him will live. What's happening there? Jesus is saying, he who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him, we might become the righteousness of God. You want to know how to deal with the snake bite and the poison that's running through your veins that sin has caused in your soul? You want to deal with, with the snake bite that's infected your families, that's infected your relationships, that's infected your work, that's infected the, the way you think and perceive? You have to look to Jesus on a cross. You have to look to the one who became sin for you as he bore the wrath of God upon a cross. And it's all over the New Testament that Jesus had to become a curse for us. That's Galatians 3.13. He became a curse for us so that we might be delivered from the curse. That's who he is. That's the love of God towards you. 
1 John 4, 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world to what? So that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we've loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. He sent Him up to be a serpent on a pole. To be Come sin for us on a cross that his wrath might be poured out. And every one of our sins was nailed to that tree. If we're in Christ, he paid it all. He paid it full. He paid it complete for your redemption. And there's no hope without it. And you don't got to ascend the mountain unto God. Jesus came down and he went to a tree and he was lifted up on the cross and he paid the ultimate price as a sacrifice for your sins if you will look and live that's the gospel that's what jesus is laying on nicodemus that's our only hope that's how you'll be born again you've got to hear it and the life of god has to come in you've got to hear he's on a cross for you and for your sins not just your neighbors for you for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that anyone believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the most famous verse of the Bible and it comes tethered to this text where Jesus is telling Nicodemus, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be the one lifted up. And when Jesus is lifted up, he's glorified. When Jesus is hanging on the tree for you and me, he's glorified. When Jesus is pouring out his blood for you and me, he's glorified. When Jesus is mocked and spat on and his beard ripped out and plucked for you and me, he's glorified and salvation comes in to all who will believe. And his mockers looked on and said, if he's the son of man, why can't he save himself? Well, he did not save himself so that he might save you. If you will believe. If you're the son of man, why don't you call an army of angels to rescue you? No, he was nailed upon the tree. And He stayed there for you and I. How deep the Father's love for us. That He would send His Son to do that. And that Jesus would willingly go. And He would sweat drops of blood. Is there any other way? No, there's not another way. So He went. And it's not plan B. It's plan A. That's the way God always designed it. That's why Jesus pointed to an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Numbers, the Torah, written thousands of years earlier. That was talking about me. Moses, he was pointing to me. Nicodemus, you don't see it, but you will. Because before it's over, he'll see him lifted up on that cross. Nicodemus would be one of those passers-by. And he would look and live. It's the last thing. You've got to look with faith so that you might live. You've got to look with faith so that you might live. Look at it right here in verse 15. It's right there staring us in the face. 
that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Think about it. This is the core of Christianity. J.C. Ryle once spoke of this passage so powerfully. He just said, this lays out the truth of Christianity. He said, the truth before us is the very foundation stone of the Christian religion. Christ's death is the Christian's life. Christ's cross is the Christian's title to heaven. Christ lifted up and put to shame on, on Calvary is the ladder by which Christians enter into the holiest and are at length landed in glory. It is true that we are sinners, but Christ has suffered for us. It is true that we would deserve death, but Christ has died for us. It is true that we are guilty debtors, but Christ has paid our debts with his own blood. This is the real gospel. This is good news. And on this, let us lean while we live. To this, let us cling while we when we die, Christ has been lifted up on the cross and he throws up in the gates of heaven to all believers. Look to him and live. And the quality of this faith and the reality of this faith is that it's for whoever. Do you see that in verse 15? That whoever, that means it's for you if you become a part of the whoever's that believe, right? This isn't just for something that's for other people out there. This is for you in here. Everybody in this room who actually looks to Jesus in this saving way, who looks to Jesus and lets go of all their sin, lets go of all of their attempts at righteousness, lets go of all their religion and clings to the one who came to a cross to redeem them and died and buried and rose up out of the grave for them, they will have life. Here and now. And in the time to come. Life eternal. This is a forever king setting up a forever kingdom for his people. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Last thing I want you to, to see here is that true faith looks away from self to Christ alone to save. Do you see it in this passage right here? Verse 15. That whoever believes in him, underline that in your Bible, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's not just faith in faith. Faith in faith won't save you. Faith in Christ and what he's done on the cross as he was lifted up, that faith will save. Not a vacuous faith that's just you got to have more faith. It's a faith in a mighty Savior who's the Son of Man who came and one day He's going to come again on the clouds and gather His bride from every corner of the earth and raise them up in glory. That's the Son of Man. That's Jesus. That's the in Him that you should believe in so that you might have life. Let me ask you a question. Did the Israelites need to do anything else but look 
to the serpent and believe the promises of God. I mean, nobody was sacrificing lambs and stuff like that or, or any of that right there in that moment. It was just like, we're dying, please help us. And they were looking like, where's the pole? Where's the pole? I'm running after the pole. I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. Do we have that in our hearts when it comes to our need for Christ? Are we like the prodigal who wasted our inheritance? We wasted everything. We said, Dad, give me my inheritance. We took it. We went. We spent it on prodigal living. And we're in a pig pen. And we've got nothing. And we're smelling the rankness of it. And we come to our senses. And it's, it's better back in my dad's house. I don't know why I left. And he runs home. And the dad is seen looking at him. Looking for him. Seeing his son. And he picks up his robes. And he runs towards him. And he laps him up. And he says, get a fatted calf and slaughter it. Get my robes and put it on him. And put my ring on him. For my son was dead. And now he's alive. That's what happens when you look and you live, look at Christ in that saving way and watch life come in. That's what Nicodemus needed to do. And one day he did. Where are you at today before God? Have you looked and have you lived in that way? Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we just acknowledge that this gospel is just glorious news. It's great news. There's no salvation without it, but you're a mighty savior. And Father, if you're doing work in hearts today, if somebody needs to acknowledge this afresh, if somebody needs to deal in their hearts and really just come and look and live and say, I just, I want this. I want to taste and see it. I want to know it. I want these realities breaking into my life. Father, would you do that? Would you work that in them? And I just ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.